Hello, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to the Mystic Show. I'm happy to be here this morning, and I'm happy I'm not uh, dizzy like I was yesterday. Really, I was something. Something made me dizzy all day, a little bit. Very strange. You know, we don't. I'm not sure we value our health very much until things start going wrong. You know what I mean? But I guess that's a, that's a universal phenomenon, I think. I think we all feel that way. But anyway, welcome to The Mystic Show. This is a show where we talk about spirituality and mindfulness and self-help and a lot of things that are unseen and otherworldly. You know, we spend enough time all day, every day, dealing with the worldly and the seen, <laughs> things we can see with our eyes, and uh, and that's good. We have to live, we have to earn our money, we have to eat, we have to shower, we have to use the bathroom, we have to talk with other people, all good stuff, and on this show we talk about interesting topics that really represent the other side of uh, life, the unseen, the part that you can't hold in your hand, but we know is so important, like our feelings, our experience, um, different philosophies, our heart, our connection with others, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, but our website is themysticshow.net, and when you go there, you can find our phone number and our Skype handle, so you can call us, you can reach out if you want to, if you have a, a point you'd like to make or uh, a question you'd like to ask, feel free to reach out. And um, yeah, also there's links to our uh, social media as well. And we do the show live every weekday, uh, every weekday that I'm not feeling incredibly dizzy and unwell, um, which that was only one day. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, yeah, we do the show live every weekday, 7 a.m., and then we podcast the show on iTunes and Stitcher. So you can hear the archive anytime you want, right from your smartphone, right from your tablet, anytime, anywhere. You can hear the Mystic Show. And, um, you know, I think with this show, if you, and we've talked about this before, but if you actually use the concepts and and, and really practice what we discuss here on the show, um, your spiritual growth will definitely have a big positive impact on your life. I, you know, I don't know much, but I know that's true. That if we really focus on higher values and learning and becoming better human beings, um, that, I mean, that makes a huge difference in our lives. It, I mean, we all know this. We don't even have to talk about it. Um, and just the same way, if we focus on the wrong things, we can really make a mess of our lives, you know? And I'm sure we've all done that to, uh, to a certain extent. So, I um, I was happy to get uh, a call yesterday from Sangeeta, and I, she may be listening now, and um, I just wanted to mention that my wife and I watched the movie Groundhog Day a few days ago, and it was, well, today's February 19th, and we we didn't watch it on Groundhog Day. We watched it, like, you know, probably two weeks later. Uh, but it's a great movie. We've seen it many, many times. And, you know, there's a real spiritual undertone to that movie. I mean, it's a funny movie. It's one of the funniest movies. And Bill Murray is, is very funny. Um, but the whole idea in the movie, I don't know if you've seen it. It um, Basically, he keeps living the same day over and over. And he can't, you know... 
he'll, he'll live Groundhog Day and he'll go to sleep at night and he wakes up in the morning and it's Groundhog Day again and all the same things happen pretty much. Um, and so he starts to mess around and try to do this and try to, he's trying to break out because at first it seems fun to have the same day over and over. You can do whatever you want and have no, you know, you never get in trouble. Even in the movie, he gets put in jail a few times and he wakes up in his bed like nothing happened. And that seems like fun. And, you know, maybe for a brief time it was fun for him. But after a while, he gets bored and he says, well, what, you know, what can I do now? And so he does all these different things. And, you know, in the end, he does find a way um, to break out of the cycle. But he does it basically when he gives up. So he finally gives up and just decides to be a nice person and not worry about the outcome. And that is exactly when he's uh, he gets out of the cycle of living the same day. And it's obviously that is a huge spiritual analogy that if we're seeking after certain goals and we're really chasing after them hard, it's almost like they seem to uh, elude us in a certain way. They seem to recede or, you know, disappear right when we think we have it. It's, it's gone. And where is it? And it's, it's very frustrating. I've been there in my life. I've related that on the show before. How that that's what brought me to spiritual practice is that I tried everything and I'm not everything, but I did a lot of things. I thought I was doing the right thing always. And I just never seemed to achieve what I wanted to achieve. It's like life was having a big uh, joke at my expense. And I didn't understand it. And I said, something, there's something more here. I don't know. Something more to life than this. So that's the one of the messages you could get from uh, watching Groundhog Day. The fact that he, as soon as he stopped trying to achieve everything selfishly, and he started focusing on others and and that kind of thing, he he achieved he he got out of the cycle. So reminds me of a song actually, because um, I was in I don't know if you know, but I'm I'm a musician. Although I haven't played any instruments for several years, you might even say many years, uh, but I'm a drummer, but I also play other instruments, and I used to be in some, you know, rock bands, you know, after high school, in high school, and in college, and, and after college, and one of the bands I was in, we had a song, it was written by our singer, the words were written by our singer, and the song was called Chain of Sorrow. It was called Chain of Sorrow, and it was about how, basically how uh, how negative traits are passed on from generation to generation. So, you know, let's say there's abuse in a family. Well, maybe the kids grow up and they abuse their family, or, you know... There seems to be this chain of sorrow that we just get stuck in the rut of living it, a lot of people. Um, and how do you get out? How do you break that chain of sorrow? And um, and that's what Bill Murray did in, in uh, the movie Groundhog Day. In a way, that's what he did. And I think in our own lives, we can really break that chain by basically forgetting about it and focusing on a, a different chain. I think there's probably people in your life, you know, older brother or an older sister or a parent or an uncle or a, a teacher or a mentor. There's been several people in your life who have shown you um, compassion and they they were patient with you and they believed in you and you got the feeling from them that 
you know, they believed in you and you could actually achieve something. You could, you could learn something or become something. And, and they were there to help you. And that's a good feeling, right? It's a good feeling when, when we have someone that believes in us. And I would like to bring up the idea that you could make, uh, make a chain out of that. So instead of a chain of sorrow, it might be a, a chain of uh, trust or respect. Because here's the thing, there's going to be someone in your life who might be younger than you, let's say, as an example, who might need your help, who might, they might need someone to believe in them. You know, maybe their confidence isn't so high. Maybe they're young and they're unsure. And maybe you can be that mentor for them. You can believe in them. You can have patience with them. And you're probably not going to, you know, they're not going to jump up and say, well, thank you for being so nice to me and you raised my confidence. They're probably going to say nothing for years and years and years. But you will know that you've done something really good for them. And you pay, pay it forward, right? That's uh, that's another great movie. Pay it forward, right? So, and and I think in in the movie Groundhog Day, that's what Bill Murray did too. He was paying it forward. He was just focusing on other people, helping other people. You know, trying to save the old man's life, or you know, catching the boy who was falling out of the tree. He would run there every day to catch this boy who was falling out of a tree onto the sidewalk to save him the pain and the, the injuries. Um, so I just think, you know, then I thought of the song chain of sorrow, which was about the negative chain. And I thought we can, each of us can help be part of a positive chain. And, uh, again, there's no, it's probably not a glamorous role to play being like a mentor or, or having faith in someone or having patience with someone. You know, you're not going to receive any awards on a stage or anything. You know, no one's going to give you extra money for doing that. But the point is, you're planting the seed for the next generation where that person or those people, because it doesn't just have to be one person, those people you believe in, they in turn in the future will believe in someone else or many other people. And that's the whole positive cycle side of things so that's my idea for that um we're i'd like to uh get into our book we have a great chapter today this is where well i'll explain it when we come back from the break but this is where the author actually uh asks to become a pupil of thomas troward and her how she became the pupil of Thomas Troward is very, very interesting. It's a, it's a great story. So let's take um, a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Mystic Show. 
right? We take these little short breaks just to, just so it's not me rambling for an hour straight. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for that little musical interlude uh, from Sebastian Tellier. Uh, it's called Fantino, and it's from the movie uh, Lost in Translation. See, another Bill Murray movie. I guess I, I guess I like Bill Murray. I mean, not especially, but he's great. He's a great actor, makes good movies. So, well, this is the Mystic Show. Our website is themysticshow.net. You can find links to our Facebook and Twitter, and also you can find our phone number and our Skype handle. You can call up if you have a question or a comment. Um, you know, we do the show live every day, but again, some some days and, you know, there obviously if I'm traveling, there are some weeks even that we don't do the show live, but we we replay, you know, some of the best episodes from the past and that works out really well. And there are some of you who have reached out, by the way, and you may be listening. Um, I, I will get back to you. Um, sometimes it takes me a little time, uh, but I will get back to you. So without further ado, let's get to the next section in our book. And again, we're reading from this book called Your Invisible Power by Genevieve B. Rend. Uh, this book is all about visualization and the law of attraction and beyond that, understanding your mind and the potential power in the universe and how your mind interacts with that potential power to create physical reality. So our mind is a very powerful thing, which, again, I think you could probably study the mind your whole life and never really, never even really begin to fathom how deep it goes. Um, And hey, that type of research might not be necessary to achieve our goal, right? Our goal, our spiritual goal in life is not to understand the mind, right? The spiritual goal is to become one with God or the universe or whatever you want to call that. Or self-realization, if you want to call it that as well. Either way, there's um, there's a lot of things in this life that we don't need to understand fully. We just need to know enough to to use it. Like to cross a river, you need a boat, let's say. And you can find a boat and you can cross the river, but you might not know about, uh, you know, the theories of buoyancy and the art of carving out a boat, making a wooden boat. Like, you don't need to know all that stuff to use the boat to cross the river. So, anyhow, this book is a great book. And this section is called How I Became the Only Personal Pupil of the Greatest Mental Scientist of the Present Day. And uh, the present day she's mentioning is um, the the early, very early part of the 20th century. So there's more than a hundred years ago. Um, yeah. So let's uh, let's tell this. She's going to tell the story again. The title is "How I Became the Only Personal Pupil of the Greatest Mental Scientists of the Present Day." Here we go. As soon as the idea of studying with Troward came to me, I asked a friend to write to him for me, feeling that perhaps my friend could put my desire in better or more persuasive terms than I could employ. To all the letters written by this friend, I received not one reply. This was so discouraging that I would have completely abandoned the idea of becoming Troward's pupil, except for the experience I had that day on the street when my whole world was illuminated. And I remembered the promise, all things, whoever thou wilt, believe thou hast received and thou shalt receive it. With this experience in my mind, 
my passage to England was arranged, notwithstanding the fact that apparently my letters were ignored. We wrote again, however, and finally received a reply, very courteous, though very positive. Trower did not take pupils. He had no time to devote to a pupil. Notwithstanding this definite decision, I declined to be discouraged because of the memory of my experience upon the day when the light and the thought came to me. I am all the substance there is. I seem to be able to live that experience over at will, and with it there always came a flood of courage and renewed energy. We journeyed on to London, and from there telegraphed Troward, asking for an interview. The telegram was promptly answered by Troward, setting a date when he could see us. At this time, Troward was living in Rowan Manor, a little out-of-the-way place in the southern part of England, about 20 miles from a railway station. We could not find it on the map, and with great difficulty, Cook's Touring Agency in London located the place for us. There was very little speculation in my mind as to what Troward would say to me in this interview. There always remained the feeling that the truth was mine, and that it would grow and expand in my consciousness until peace and contentment were outward as well as inward manifestations of my individual life. We arrived at Troward's house in a terrific rainstorm and were cordially received by Troward himself, whom I found, much to my surprise, to be more the type of a Frenchman than an Englishman. I afterward learned that he has a descendant of the Huguenot race. A man of medium stature, with rather a large head, big nose, and eyes that fairly danced with merriment. After we had been introduced to the other members of the family and given a hot cup of tea, we were invited into the living room, where Troward talked very freely of everything except my proposed studies. It seemed quite impossible to bring him to that subject. Just before we were leaving, however, I asked quite boldly, Will you not reconsider your decision to take a personal pupil? I wish so much to study with you. To which he replied with a very indifferent manner that he did not feel he could give the time it would require for personal instruction but that he would be glad to give me the names of two or three books which he felt would not only be interesting, but instructive to me. He said he felt much flattered and pleased that I had come all the way from America to study with him, and as we walked out through the lane from his house to our automobile, his manner became less indifferent. A feeling of sympathy seemed to touch his heart, and he turned to me with the remark, You might write to me, if so inclined, after you get to Paris, and perhaps, if I have time in the autumn, we could arrange something, though it does not seem possible now. I lost no time in following up his very kind invitation to write. My letters were all promptly and courteously answered, but there was never a word of encouragement as to my proposed studies. Finally, about two months later, there came a letter with the question in it, What do you suppose is the meaning of this verse in the 21st chapter of Revelation? 16. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. 
the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Instinctively, I knew that my chance to study with Troward hung upon my giving the correct answer to that question. The definition of the verse seemed utterly beyond my reach. Naturally, answers came to my mind, but I knew intuitively that none was correct. I began bombarding my scholarly friends and acquaintances with the same question. Lawyers, doctors, priests, nuns and clergymen all over the world received letters from me with this question in them. Later, answers began to return to me, but intuition told me that none was correct. All the while, I was endeavoring to find the answer for myself, but none seemed to come. I memorized the verse in order that I might meditate upon it. I began a search of Paris for the books Troward had recommended to me, and after two or three days' search, we crossed the river Sienne to the Ile de Cite to go into some of the old bookstores there. They were out of print, and these were the best places to find them in. Finally, we came upon a little shop that had the books there. These were the last copies the man had. Consequently, the price was high. While remonstrating with the clerk, my eye rested upon the work of an astrologer, which I laughingly picked up and asked, Do you think Professor would read my horoscope? The clerk looked aghast at the suggestion and responded, Why no, madame, this is one of France's greatest astrologers. He does not read horoscopes. In spite of this answer, there was a persistent impulse within me to go to the man. The friend who had accompanied me in my search for the books remonstrated with me and tried in every way to dissuade me from going to the famous astrologer. But I insisted, and she went with me. When we came to his office... I found it somewhat embarrassing to ask him to read my horoscope. Nevertheless, there was nothing to do but put the question. Reluctantly, the professor invited us into his paper-strewn study and reluctantly, and also impatiently, asked us to be seated. Very courteously and coldly, he told me that he did not read horoscopes. His whole manner said, more clearly than words could, that he wished we would take our departure. My friend stood up. I was at a great loss what to do next, because I felt that I was not quite ready to go. Intuition seemed to tell me there was something for me to gain there. Just what it was, I was unable to define. So I paused a moment much to my friend's displeasure, when one of the professor's enormous Persian cats jumped into my lap. Get down, Jack, the professor shouted. What does it mean? He seemed to ask himself. Then, with a greater interest than he had hitherto shown in me, the professor said with a smile, Have never known that cat to go to a stranger before, madame. My cat pleads for you. I also now feel an interest in your horoscope. And if you will give me the data, it will give me pleasure to write it out for you. There was a great feeling of happiness in me when he made this statement. He concluded by saying, I do not feel that you really care for your horoscope. The truth of this statement shocked me because I did not care about a horoscope and could not give any reason why I was letting him do it. However, he said, may I call for your data next Sunday afternoon. On Sunday afternoon, at the appointed time, the professor arrived and I was handing him 
the slip of paper with all the data of my birth, etc. When the idea came to me to ask the professor for the answer to the question about the 16th verse of the 21st chapter of Revelation. The thought was instantly carried into effect, and I found myself asking this man what he thought this verse meant. Without pausing to think it over, he immediately replied, It means, The city signifies the truth, and the truth is non-invertible. Every side from which you approach it is exactly the same. Intuitively and undoubtingly, I recognized this answer as the true one, and my joy knew no bounds, because I felt sure that with this correct answer in my possession, Troward would accept me as his pupil in the fall. As the great astrologer was leaving, I explained to him all about my desire to study with Troward, how I had come from New York City for that express purpose, seemingly to no avail, until the answer to this test question had been given to me by him. He was greatly interested and asked many questions about Troward, and when asked if he would please send me his bill, he smilingly replied, Let me know if the great Troward accepts you as his pupil and bade me good afternoon. I hastened to my room to send a telegram to Troward, giving my answer to the question about the 16th verse of the 21st chapter of Revelation. There was an immediate response from Troward that said, Your answer is correct. And beginning a course of lectures on the Great Pyramid in London... If you wish to attend them, we'll be pleased to have you. And afterward, if you wish to study with me, I think it can be arranged. On receipt of this reply, preparations were at once made to leave Paris for London. I attended all the lectures, receiving much instruction from them, after which arrangements were made for my studying with Troward. Two days before leaving for Cornwall, I received the following letter from Troward, clearly indicating the line of study he gave me. Dear Mrs. Berend, I think I had better write you a few lines with regard to your proposed studies with me, as I should be sorry for you to be under any misapprehension and so to suffer any disappointment. I have studied the subject now for several years and have a general acquaintance with the leading features of most of the systems which, unfortunately, occupy attention in many circles at the present time, such as Theosophy, the Tarot, the Kabbalah, and the like. And I have no hesitation in saying that, to the best of my judgment, all sorts and descriptions of so-called occult study are in direct opposition to the real life-giving truth. And, therefore, you must not expect any teaching on such lines as these. We hear a great deal these days about initiation. But, believe me, the more you try to become a so-called initiate, the further you will put yourself from living life. I speak after many years of careful study and consideration when I say that the Bible and its revelation of Christ is the one thing really worth studying, and that is a subject large enough in all conscience, embracing, as it does, our outward life and of everyday concerns and also the inner springs of our life and all that we can in general terms conceive of the life in the unseen after putting off the body at death. 
you have expressed a very great degree of confidence in my teaching. And if your confidence is such that you wish, as you say, to put yourself entirely under my guidance, I can only accept it as a very serious responsibility and should have to ask you to exhibit that confidence by refusing to look into such so-called mysteries as I would forbid you to look into. I am speaking from experience, but the result will be that much of my teaching will appear to be very simple, perhaps to some extent dogmatic, and you will say you have heard much of it before. Faith in God, prayer and worship, approach to the Father through Christ, all this is in a certain sense familiar to you. And all I can hope to do is perhaps to throw a little more light on these subjects, that they may become to you not merely traditional words, but present living facts. I have been thus explicit as I do not want you to have any disappointment. And also I should say that our so-called course of study will be only friendly conversations at such times as we can fit them in, either you coming to our house or I to yours, as may be most convenient at the time. Also, I will lend you some books that will be helpful, but they are very few and in no sense occult. Now, if all this falls in with your ideas, we shall, I'm sure, be very glad to see you at Rouen Manor, and you will find that the residents there, though few, are very friendly and the neighborhood very pretty. But, on the other hand, if you feel that you want some other source of learning, do not mind saying so, and only you, only you will never find any substitute for Christ. I trust you will not mind my writing you like this, but I do not want you to come all the way down to Cornwall and then be disappointed. With kindest regards, yours sincerely, T. Troward. This copy of Troward's letter, to my mind, is the greatest thing I can give you. And on that note, we'll take a break. That's the end of that section. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Mystic Show. This little piece of music is called uh, Goodbye from Kevin Shields. And uh, again, it's from the Lost in Translation movie soundtrack. So thank you for that little interlude, Kevin Shields. And welcome back to The Mystic Show. I'm Chris Curran, your host. And... um, Hopefully, you can participate in this show as well, if you'd like to. You can call or Skype with us if you have questions. Or you can always comment on the posts on the website if you have a question or a comment. 
Um, again, our website, themysticshow.net. And uh, real quick, I just want to mention Pause Your Life. I'm not sure if you've been to the Pause Your Life website, uh, but Pause Your Life does retreats and meetups and also has a daily pause email. If you want to receive an inspirational quote every day, which will give you an excuse to just pause. And that's the whole idea with Pause Your Life is that our lives are so crazy. You know, I've heard many people say, I just want to, you know, stop the madness for a minute and let me relax. You know, like if there was a big pause button for life, they want to hit the pause button and just stop for a little while, you know, breathe, relax. Well, that's what Pause Your Life does. We have meetups and retreats. And the website, you can find everything there, is pauseyourlife.org. Pauseyourlife.org. Meetups, retreats, and the daily pause email. There's blog posts there as well. There's a bunch of stuff on that site. And links to the social media and everything else, too. So, all right. Well, we read that passage. Uh, It was a little bit longer than the others. I think it was six pages, which isn't that long. But uh, anyway, that tells the story of how Genevieve Biren left New York City and uh, went to Europe and, you know, communicated with Troward and became his uh, pupil, which is what she wanted. And at no time in the whole process did she give up or or think that it wouldn't happen or believe that it wouldn't happen, right? She was very focused and uh, she, I'm sure she was using her visualization as well and using her intuition, right? She mentioned the word intuition about 15 times in that chapter because that's what she kept using, her intuition, when, when she went to see the, uh, the astrologer professor and she was asking for him to read her horoscope. And he said no. And her friend got up and she just kept sitting there because she felt like it wasn't done. And that's the moment when the cat jumped in her lap and the and the professor said, wow, my cat must really like you. Hmm, my cat never goes to strangers. He said, hmm, now I'm interested in your horoscope. <laughs> so, yep, so we'll continue with that book tomorrow and yeah so I just wanted to briefly comment on atmosphere and I don't mean scientifically you know the ring of air that surrounds the planet earth (laughs) that's one atmosphere the atmosphere I'm talking about is the the feeling the underlying subtle feeling of a place or a person well, mostly a place, right? A lot of places we go, you just feel something, right? Some places you you feel negative things. You feel like, oh my God, I have to get out of here. <laughs> Some places are wonderful. Like, um, actually, I was just looking at the the second mystic show ever. I actually talked about um, the spiritual atmosphere at Fallen Leaf Lake which is in Lake Tahoe, which uh, my wife and I visited Lake Tahoe. Um, I was there for a seminar, and we ended up renting bikes and going to this little fallen leaf lake. That's what it's called, and there's no roads to it, only, you know, a trail. So you can't get there by car. You have to, you know, ride a bike or hike. And uh, anyway, the spiritual atmosphere of that place was really interesting and deep and we you know we stopped there we hung out there because it was so nice and um and that's how nature is anyway right i mean most nature if you go away from civilization you feel like a deeper sense of peace right kind of clears your mind it lets you think um so nature by itself, always has a nice atmosphere because it's pure. It's just clean. It's just, you know. So when you think about uh, cities or 
you know, where, where human beings live, the atmosphere is not always so good. And the question is why? And one of the answers is that really our thought creates the atmosphere. So if you, for instance, go into a church or a temple, I mean, the atmosphere there is also usually pretty good because everyone who goes there is thinking about, you know, is thinking pious thoughts, you know, humble thoughts kind of thing. Um, supplicant thoughts, right? And the atmosphere reflects that. But if you go somewhere, I don't know, somewhere seedy like a bar or some place where all kinds of bad things are going on and you know people are loud and fighting and all this, I mean the atmosphere is not not good at all. You can feel it. A lot of times you I mean mostly you wouldn't even go there, but if you've just found yourself there for some reason, you would want to leave. So I, the point is that it, the thoughts we have actually affect our atmosphere. So that's one of the benefits of meditation and spiritual practice uh, is that you begin to have a positive effect on different atmospheres, the different places you go. You will have a positive effect just by studying spirituality or you know, trying to keep in mind, you know, your higher power or God or whatever you want to call that, or your guru or the master, by by keeping those kinds of things in mind, you actually affect the atmosphere. And uh, And what happens when you get several people, you know, several like-minded people in the same place? Well, you, the, the atmosphere starts to really get changed, right? Become affected. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, we've heard it a million times that you have to choose your company wisely, right? You have to, you have to hang around with people who are in line or congruent with, with what, with what you want to become. So, and a lot of times, I mean, when we're young, we just have friends, we grow up and we have friends. We don't, you know, we're not very conscious of choosing things very well. Um, but as we get older and become a little wiser, I mean, you can actually start to look around and see, you know, who, who's in my life, who am I friends with, or who am I, who do I spend time with? And are they, is that the people who I want to spend time with and kind of thing? Because it does make a difference. It really does. You know, you know that uh, there's a analogy, right? If there's a, a bucket full of crabs, right? If one of the crabs wants to leave the bucket, crawl out of the crawl out the top of the bucket, it starts crawling, but the other the other crabs from below grab it and pull it back down. So it's just like they all just keep pulling each other down and they all just sit in the bottom of a bucket. And a lot of times that's how life can be. If you if if you have friends or family uh sometimes they can pull you down. I mean, and I know you've all felt this. This is nothing uh new. And that's something we really have to be aware of. And and you know, I'm not saying you should make drastic changes immediately, but you know, by by giving it some awareness in your mind, you'll start planting the seeds for change, you know, change in your own behavior, change in your yourself. And hopefully that atmosphere does affect the other people. And in the end, you might spend less time with them. Which is probably a good thing if they're really a bad influence. Or you might spend less time, but because it's less time, it's better time, you know. So uh, that's just a little bit about atmosphere. Maybe you could be aware of, of where you're going, like where you are. What's the atmosphere where you are? And that's sort of like an extension of 
you know, evaluating your own spiritual condition at any moment? Like, how is my condition right now? Am I disturbed? Am I uh, anxious? Am I emotional? Or am I relaxed, sort of like connected and disconnected at the same time, uh, very high awareness, you know, have having feelings but not emotions? So anyway, that's how we can sort of evaluate ourselves and, uh, and evaluate our atmospheres. And, and, and it does play a big role in our spiritual uh, advancement the different atmospheres we're in, the different atmosphere we carry. So there's a little bit on atmosphere. Um, we'll just take a quick break. Then I have a, a really interesting reading that we're going to read real quick. It's a very, very, very short one. Okay, we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to The Mystic Show, and thank you to The Naked and Famous for this song off their latest album. It's called Golden Girl, and it's an album I've been listening to a little bit recently, The Naked and Famous. Thank you for that uh, musical interlude, and welcome back to The Mystic Show. You know, sometimes I, I... I mean, I want to be sort of calm. This is a calm sort of a show. But sometimes I, you know, I feel like if I have more energy, I'll be more interesting on the radio. So it's a little, I'm kind of being pulled in two directions. But I'm not worried about it. I'm just being myself. And um, anyway, I'm happy you're here listening to the conversation. And maybe someday you can participate with me but i to to finish off this episode um i really want to read this section this little selection called death and this is from the the book 365 dao daily meditations by deng ming dao and uh and yeah, I actually did check. I looked up the author and I checked that it was a male author because I keep referring to the author as him and he. And uh, But the name Deng Ming Dao, I didn't know. I mean, I don't know automatically that, that that's a male. So I confirmed that, which I probably knew that. Maybe I forgot it. But this section of the book is called Death. And it, it was actually yesterday's selection uh, which is funny because I didn't feel well <laughs> yesterday. I didn't quite feel like death, um, but I didn't feel well. Uh, so this is called Death, and I'll just read it. It's very short. Death is the opposite of time. We give death metaphors. We cloak it in meaning and make up stories about what will happen to us. But we don't really know. When a person dies, we cannot see beyond the corpse. We speculate on reincarnation or talk in terms of eternity. But death is opaque to us, a mystery. In its realm, 
time ceases to have meaning. All laws of physics become irrelevant. Death is the opposite of time. What dies? Is anything actually destroyed? Certainly not the body, which falls into its constituent parts of water and chemicals. That is mere transformation, not destruction. What of the mind? Does it cease to function? Or does it make a transition to another existence? We don't know for sure, and few can come up with anything conclusive. What dies? Nothing of the person dies in the sense that the constituent parts are totally blasted from all existence. What dies is merely the identity, the identification of a collection of parts that we called a person. Each one of us is a role, like some shaman wearing layers of robes with innumerable fetishes of meaning. Only the clothes and decorations fall. What dies is only our human meaning. There is still someone naked underneath. Once we understand who that someone is, death no longer bothers us, nor does time. That's a beautiful passage. I like the way it starts talking about death in general, that we don't know what it is, and then it talks about, you know, the body, the mind, and then it talks that it says that what really dies is the identity, which is very related to ego. And and then at the very end, to get to the real point, this is what I really like. Um, yeah, so he, he says, there is still someone naked underneath. Once we understand who that someone is, death no longer bothers us nor does time. So, in essence, that's what our spiritual practice, whatever your spiritual practice is, is trying to achieve. We have to understand who that someone is deep inside of us. The inner self, or the soul, or the essence. I mean, that that's a spiritual pursuit. And I'm sure each of us are on that pursuit on some level, but hopefully we can, we can take that pursuit to another level. Maybe you need to meditate more. Maybe you need to read more. Maybe you need to do yoga more. Or maybe you need a teacher. Maybe you need help. Maybe you need a meditation practice. Whatever it is on this journey of spiritual unfoldment, we're really looking for our inner self. So as you move through your day today, maybe you can think about that. It's kind of an interesting thought. Look beyond your body. Look into your essence. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm glad you could join me. And as always, keep shining.